I'm going to turn it over to these gentlemen here who will begin the uh, Ruby Rogues podcast. uh, Dave Copeland, Avdi told me he wanted to uh, talk about Ruby outside of web development today, and so he, you know, was like, uh, "We got to find somebody who uses Ruby outside of web development." I actually would have settled for somebody who uses Ruby on anything but a social coupon site. Um, but I found the guy, the one guy uh, who uses Ruby outside of web development. So, Dave Copeland, introduce yourself. Uh, so I'm Dave Copeland, and uh, uh, I'm writing a book about command line applications of Ruby because I love using Ruby on the command line. That's where I learned it. But I must admit, I do work at the <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> do over. So, like I said, this is the Ruby Road Safari. I mean, uh, Ruby Beyond Web Development uh, is what we're going to talk about today. Uh, we thought we'd chat for about 20 minutes or so. It's pretty short for us. We usually... Uh, talk for uh, close to 40, but we'll cut it in half because we got, I'm sure you guys want to get lunch eventually. Um, we'll chat for about 20 minutes or so, and then we'll take questions because that's a cool thing we can do when we have a live audience that we don't normally. Oh, which, by the way, for the people listening to the podcast, we really do have 200 of our closest friends in this room with us right now, so make some noise. Prove you're here. We're going to put all of those people on the panel. Okay, so Abdi, tell us what you had in mind when you chose Ruby Beyond Web Development. So uh, when I got started with Ruby, it was it was long before the Rails era, and um, you know there were people doing like CGI scripts and stuff like that with Ruby, but it was still kind of wide open what we were going to use this language for. And actually, a lot of the usages, um, you know, before Rails. Uh, were kind of in the vein of what you would have done with a Perl script, uh, only use Ruby instead because Ruby is so much more awesome. And, uh, and that's some of the stuff that I got started with. So I was, you know, munging files and stuff like that. And, and I just got to wondering about, you know, who's still doing, um, all kind, you know, interesting stuff beyond the web with Ruby. Gotcha. So, uh, what particular projects have we worked with that uh, were Ruby, but not necessarily on the web. Dave, you want to go first? Uh, so I have a similar uh, intro to Ruby as uh, as as Avdi. I uh, you know used to do Perl, and so and I got tired of that, and uh, Ruby was was great for that. Um, and uh, I think Homebrew for me kind of like captures like what's great about Ruby on the command line because it sets up your system. It is all kinds of like crazy stuff that you normally would do with like AutoConf or something like that, but it's all in Ruby and it's extensible via object orientation. So. It kind of demonstrates for me, like you know, how great it is to do Ruby on the command line. So the the first thing that I I, I recall doing that was like part of my job. It wasn't just playing around. Um, was I, I wrote a program for processing prom images? Which does that even ring a? How many people does that actually ring a bell for in this room? 
There's one hand. There's a couple. Uh, a couple of hands. Okay, so so back before um, all devices had flash memory on them and USB ports and, and cool stuff like that, um, you, you used to have devices that the only way to reprogram them was to actually take a chip off the board. It was made to be pried off the board, and you would put it in this special prom burner machine, and you would load up a prom image that you had prepared of the program that was supposed to be running on this device, and you would you would hit go on the prom burner, and it would sit there for like I don't know twenty minutes, uh, doing its thing, and then you'd pull the the chip off, and you'd carefully label it, and then you you jam it into the into the board. And uh, and I was working on an old radar system that that you still had to program with these proms, and there was this horrible prom. Uh, pre-processing program that you had to use that would get all the, the memory segments in exactly the right locations in this prom image. And it was, it was this nasty old C program that was, that was so legacy that parts of it were just like a compiled object file that nobody had the source code for or the compiler for anymore. And, uh, and so you just had to link with that because you, there was no way to, to, to change it. Um, and, and so I, I thought, you know, we're, we're rapidly iterating on a new version of this hardware. We keep having to move things around in memory. And if I have to keep modifying this stupid C program, I'm going to go insane. So I basically just rewrote the parts of it that I actually needed in Ruby and just use, using its, its ability, like pack and unpack. And that was, that was it. I wrote this, uh, prom processor. So I'm kind of embarrassed to admit that I've been thinking the whole time of ideas I could bring up, projects that I've used Ruby for, and uh, it wasn't web development. And some of my greatest idea have, ideas have happened in the last 10 minutes because people have reminded me of them. So obviously talk about uh, prom imaging. Um, this chair right here, when I got this new chair, uh, they showed me that you can stick an uh, SD card in the side of the controller, and it'll write out the programming on the chair onto this SD card in this binary format, and then they can take it and reprogram it. They should have never showed me that. That's a really bad idea. So I, I used Ruby, and I uh, reverse-engineered the binary format that it stores its programs in, and you know I would sit there and manipulate settings to see what effect they would have and stuff like that. So you can actually reprogram your wheelchair with Ruby if you want to, just FYI. Uh, not recommended. Although I have thought about doing a training where I invite students to do that and then run their program, but I think it could be dangerous, you know? It's not sure. Um, so uh, that's one use. Then, uh, I, as some of you probably know, I do quite a bit of work with TextMate uh, and, and working with that team, uh, and it completely skipped my mind uh, until Dr. Nick reminded me about two minutes before we uh, came up here to do this. Uh, that we use Ruby all over the place in TypeSpace. Uh, all the bundles use, uh, make heavy use of Ruby. Uh, so that's another example of it. Finally, uh, one of the projects I'm working on uh, right now is a simulation for a uh, vaccination company. They're testing several new vaccinations, and they want to show the effects of different vaccinations on populations. So they simulate populations. They introduce viruses and infections and stuff and, and run those through, uh, and then they introduce vaccines and screening and things like that to show the effects of vaccinations on the population. So uh, that's one of the cooler projects I've worked on that is using Ruby in a totally uh, non-web environment. It has some interesting challenges. Uh, first of all, it's really cool to write a simulation in Ruby because it models it so well with the great object system and stuff like that. 
but of course, as we all know, Ruby's not the fastest uh, thing in the planet. Uh, so uh, when we're doing very large numbers, simulating very large populations, we sometimes have to get a little creative with that algorithms and uh, memory usage to make it more friendly. So, But I like that because I get to try new stuff, and so I enjoy that too. Uh, so those are some of the uses I've had in mind. So, Dave, aren't you kind of writing a book about using Ruby in non-web situations? In fact, I am, um, and I was inspired by writing a program similar to what the two of you have been talking about. I had to... Uh, I worked at a, a company before that um, generated uh, lots of PDFs that got mailed out to people, and the QA was um, we would email out like a 10,000-page PDF, and everyone in the company would go through it looking for problems. Um, so... Uh, instead of that, what I did is I wrote a Ruby script that would go in and do some boundary value analysis on the data and produce PDFs only for people who kind of fit in uh, the certain categories of weird data. And then you only had to look at, like, say, 100 PDFs instead of 10,000. Um, so after doing a really terrible job of writing that program and having it come back to bite me in the ass later, I decided to redouble my efforts and learn how to really, really write a good command line program. And I found that uh, I thought I had, like, a whole book's worth of stuff to uh, to write about that. So um, I've been working on that for the past year for the uh, Pragmatic Programmers. So what is your book called? What, uh, it is called Build Awesome Command Line Applications in Ruby. And I gave them the out to not use the word awesome. I thought it was a little hyperbolic, but um, they were cool with it. So, yeah. Well, I think it's awesome. Yeah, me too. <laughs> <laughs> so... Um, in that chapter, you're, or in that book, you're going to cover all the different, uh, like, are you just going to cover uh, techniques in the Ruby language? Or are you also going to cover some uh, libraries like Thor that usually get used for that task? Or? Yeah, so I tried to keep it um, not as a, a bunch of instructions for libraries and sort of concentrate on, like, what is the gist of how to interact with the system and with the users and what you want your applications to do. Um, but there is uh, some of that stuff, so like option parser, um, things like that, and then there's going to be an appendix that basically shows the example programs using a couple different um, command line parsers, just so you can kind of, you know, in Ruby, there's like 10 ways to do everything, whichever way you feel comfortable, and so, you know, I'd like to demonstrate all those things at least. Very cool. What, what would you say makes Ruby particularly handy for the, that kind of command line work? Yeah, I think it's because it's a high-level language that has all these great abstractions like object orientation and all this metaprogramming where you do really powerful things, but you're still really close to the, really close to the metal and can run system commands, access, you know, the Unix system. Um, you know, stuff like file utils lets you write uh, what looks like a bash script, but it's still Ruby, so you get kind of the best of both worlds. That's a really good point. So we did some asking around uh, on the Internet, too, uh, we've just heard about this technology stuff, and it's so cool. Um, so we did some asking of what other people are using Ruby for in non-web scenarios, and we got some cool answers. So uh, let's hear what some other people are using it for. Let's see here. So um, uh, Ara Howard did some work with uh, at NOAA for processing satellite imagery. I, I actually know in that particular case. I used to work with Ara from time to time, and... Um, uh, in that particular case, I believe he was av uh, analyzing uh, satellite images from Hurricane Katrina uh, and uh, doing the processing with uh, Ruby's image libraries and stuff to uh, detect things like power outages and stuff like that. Pretty stuff. Uh, Chris Umble writes, we use JRuby in a control system for a robotic tape library. 
uh, Tim P used Ruby at uh, an aerospace company to validate test imagery for the Kepler Space Telescope. Oh. There's some other uh, mentions of, of NASA-related work. NASA does use uh, Ruby quite a bit. Um, Bill Klebb uh, has been in the community more so in the past, I think, than uh, current days, and he's a NASA employee and always using uh, Ruby for all kinds of awesome avenues in NASA. There's a uh, Ruby interface to Arduino. You guys make Arduino projects? No, nobody. Um, homework. You guys have homework. <laughs> Seriously. Do you want to briefly explain what that is? Sure. It's uh, um, like for hardware hacking, right? If we do the software side, the Arduino boards are, are circuit boards that... Uh, you know, make it easy to uh, hack into all kinds of things, uh, and you can find recipes online. There are awesome sites with just unbelievable things you can build from uh, cool fountains that have lights in them that oscillate in cool patterns to uh, old-style uh, gaming cabinets, you know, with the... Uh, then you put hardware in there that you can write software on and stuff, so uh, really neat stuff, kind of a neat combination of uh, hardware and software hacking. And then there are some mentions of some other uh, command line stuff, like a um, earthquake, a command line Twitter client, um, and of course there's there's sysadmin stuff. So both both Chef and uh, Puppet use Ruby. Yeah, that's a good point. Ruby seems kind of slow to get into the sysadmin side of things as far as like Perl's penetration, but then Chef and Ruby, I think, did turn the table. I feel like like uh, Ruby is is maybe the the perfect sys administration language because you can take a script from like the messiest one liner, uh, which works and works you know like one liners in Ruby, and then it gives you this really nice gradual um, series of steps where that more general uh, and more and more you know nicely factored and abstract as you add things like classes and modules. You add a, a proper option parser instead of something hacky with argv, and uh, and then you can start factoring files out of it, and you can keep the whole thing for test. And it's just a really nice. You know, other languages, it's like it's really nice, or it's really those, those high level programs. But Ruby, you get to have all the steps in between. I, uh, I, I tried convincing the sysadmins at my last job about that. Um, they're really into Bash so much that the lead sysadmin schedules four hours every Friday afternoon for Bashing time, and it's on his calendar, and he just writes Bash scripts. And uh, when he heard I was writing this book, he like he redoubled his efforts to like really learn Bash and show me how awesome it was. And uh, I'm just going to give him a free copy of the book and see see if it changes his mind. <laughs> That's awesome. I use Ruby a lot in uh, just my day-to-day -day work. You know, I, I think we um, always end up doing some kind of introspection on something and, and uh, with servers and stuff. And, and I'm so-so with the command line, mediocre with Bash, and I, I know the tools like Grep and, and stuff, of course, that we all use for that. But it, it, the second I get out of my comfort zone, I immediately default to just using Ruby. Uh, and I'll write a one-line script, and uh, I use the flip-flop operator. I'm sorry, Ola. Um, so uh, I'll write a quick one-line script and, and just uh, go after the data I'm at uh, just because I'm so familiar with it and stuff. And actually, uh, speaking of the flip-flop operator, maybe we shouldn't go here, but uh, Ruby has a whole bunch of like really scary features for uh, uh, doing work at the command line, begin and end blocks, uh, the flip-flop operator, rgef, 
uh, all kinds of things like that. And I really do encourage you to like look into some of those. Uh, if for no other reason that they'll kind of expand your brain a little bit, you'll see Ruby in some ways you never thought you'd see it before, that's for sure. Um, so uh, it borrows most of those features from Perl, by the way. So if you came from Perl, you're probably pretty used to a lot of them already. Anything else we need to say about that, or should we just start taking some questions? All right. You guys had some time to think them up, so we expect good ones. The hard ones today, Hoppy and I will handle the rest. Yes. Uh, so the question is, how do you mitigate the cost of forking a new Ruby every time you use it on the command line? Um, as opposed to, uh, I mean, you're going to run a command line program, it's going gonna, it's, it's gonna to fork a process every time, right? Well, I... What's the alternative? Uh, you got Ruby interpreter over here. Send your script to it. Yeah, that's that's interesting, I guess. Um, but I mean, if like you fast don't CGI with Perl or something. Right, right. If you don't load Active Record, I mean, is the load time really bad? I mean, uh, Ruby starts up and very, very fast, right? I don't without, use Active Record in my command line scripts a lot. <laughs> maybe maybe J Ruby has a little slower startup, but uh, it's gone faster. Yeah, that's gotten a lot faster. But MRI, I, I, you know, we need to sit down and time it. But I'm pretty sure it's a sub-second startup. It's very fast. Yeah, it, it's it's a very very fast startup. So that that's not something that worries me too much. But there are a lot of, you know, once you start building your script up, you might start requiring more and more. And one thing I'll say to that is, um, if you don't need, if you don't need all of those libraries for every path that your your script might take. Look into using autoload and and only and only load the uh, the libraries as you need them. Also, check out uh, Ruby one nine three, which was just released uh, very recently. Um, they applied a patch to it that fixed uh, a big uh, file stat problem they had when loading lots of gems and stuff. Uh, I think in Rails's case in particular, it, it uh, increased the boot time of Rails uh, by a little less than thirty percent. I think so. They definitely are making big headways there when you are loading massive amounts of libraries. Next question. So the question is, what's our favorite command line parsing library? I think we can all answer, give our own answers. Uh, mine, I like Option Parser, and then I, uh, I wrote one called GLI. So since I wrote it, I like to use it all the time, but it's pretty much like Commander. <laughs> I like Main by Ara T. Howard. Check it out. Main is pretty cool, I agree. It's... Uh, it's a cool library. I've used it a couple times. You usually just use our option parser because uh, it's in the standard library and I know it really well. Another question? Uh, so the question is, what were some of the painful things I did that I didn't like and, and how did I fix them? Um, so, uh, you know, going into argv directly instead of just biting the bullet and using option parser, I mean, that's like the number one offense. Um, and uh, just n not formatting the output Usefully, um, not hand, not not checking error codes, exit codes of things. Um, it's it's like uh, you know, it's it's just the worst when someone else is running your program and they get a backtrace. I mean, that's just no excuse for that. I've definitely done things I've uh, regretted on the command line. I'm sure most of all, uh, destroyed directories and stuff. Uh, usually, mine involve having too many permissions that I shouldn't have had when I was running that particular command. Uh, but. Yeah, definitely be careful. Uh, uh, libraries like uh, File Utils has a dry run mode. I love that mode, uh, where it'll go through and show you everything it's going to do before you actually use it. Really important. That's good. Good stuff. 
Other questions about using Ruby in non-web scenarios? Mac Ruby, right? Desktop apps? I don't do that, but that's a non-web scenario. That is a non-web scenario. That's a good point. And getting more popular with the Mac App Store and stuff. Can you make a Mac Ruby app and submit it to the Mac App Store? I believe you can. That's pretty cool. I believe you can. But we don't see Ruby used as much in desktop environments, do As much, for some reason. Yes, there's a hand in the back. Oh, I know that guy. <laughs> what are you building? That's very cool. I believe your son did a talk on that at uh, RubyConf, I recall. Yeah, he's the author of Limelight. He did, did a number of talks on this. Yeah, it was very interesting. So it does get used in a desktop environment some, maybe just not as much. Anyone else? Fun developing for Android using Mirror and Panda. You said Panda. I've got a question Go for you guys. Um, have you ever tried to apply Ruby to a problem outside the web and said, "No, this is a mistake. I'm going to use something else." I think Ruby's pretty bad at lots of hardcore mathematical processing type stuff. Uh, my the last place I worked, there was an analytics team that uh, tried it because I was, "Yeah, Ruby's awesome," and they're like, "Is." We have to go back to Python, sadly. That's a, that's a good point. Although I will say on the mathematical processing side, uh, there's a very underappreciated library called NArray, uh, which basically lets you borrow C's number types and then do massive operations over large sets of them. Uh, and I had one library that was doing some image processing, so it was basically just a cube of numbers. Uh, that we were churning through and switching it to N array was just a ridiculous speed up. So uh, it can be good for number processing that way. And James, I believe you did a talk on on that, right? I talked about it at Lone Star once a while ago. There's a there's a video up of that. So That's right. There is a video out. on conference. Yes, I see a question in the back. Wait, so you're saying soap was a total disaster? <laughs> Did I understand that correctly? Yeah, yeah. Uh, no, I've definitely felt the pain on exactly that issue, that uh, Ruby Soap Library is uh, just not the same uh, as, you know, in other environments and stuff, uh, where they, you know, configure themselves so much from the WSDL, and it seems... Uh, it, it does some of that, but also it's all black box, so even when it does some of that, you have no idea what it did do, you know, and trying to figure that out is pretty horrible. So um, I kind of agree with the idea of just using, like, a Java tool for something like that. Yeah. Wow. That's kind of cool. But <laughs> you get... that was, so so that was, that was uh, Win32 
OLE to to like automate Excel spreadsheet just to report uh, to, to repeat that for the recording. Um, it, it'd be easier to to these days. It'd be easier to just like if you just need to write some Excel, you can just use the spreadsheet gem to write a file instead of actually automating uh, from a Windows box. It's funny because you actually like you gave me flashbacks there. Uh, <laughs> you reminded me of something else I've done with Ruby a long, long time ago, which was exactly that. It was it was Excel uh, using Win30. I use Ruby for lots of daily data munging needs. If I have some data in some source, I want to spit it out in a different source. It's just the fastest way I know how to do it. I see a hand way back there. You mentioned Arduino earlier. I don't use Ruby to program the Arduino, but I do use Ruby to build the code that goes in the Arduino. So I totally replace the make files with break files. And generally, anything I build like that, I use Ruby slash break to do that. That guy has an unhealthy life of break. Have you noticed that? <laughs> something going on there. I'm telling you. No, that's a great point. I use rake for, like, everything. If you guys haven't uh, really checked out rake, the thing you never see people using is Rake's uh, file tasks. Those are awesome. You can like use a file task and then uh, you know give the block of code needed to build that file when it's not present. Um, so you can just do all kinds of ridiculously cool stuff with that. You should check out Rake's file tasks. Anyone else? Okay. Question was about uh, GUI libraries and. Uh... Our good friend Uncle Bob was talking about Limelight, which is which is one. Um, other than shoes, I don't know what else there is. Cherry and Monkey Bars. I think they're just making up names. <laughs> <laughs> Try it out. <laughs> yeah, those are uh, Java Swing libraries, correct? Yes. And then uh, and then of course there's the old standards Qt, TK. Um, what's the third of that trio? I can't remember now. <laughs> um, uh, QT and TK, uh, the Prags had a short Friday book on, uh, QT, I think, a while back. Uh, and it seemed to get a little traction at that point and then just kind of fall off the map again. I, I think because those older kits are kind of a pain in the butt to use or not really, you know, as convenient. Um, Shoes is back. I think Steve Klobnik resurrected it and, uh, has done a lot of work on it. So, uh, it is still around. Uh, the minus there being that I think you're using a forked Ruby interpreter in that case, so there's kind of some penalties for that. Oh, okay, I may be wrong. That may be old info. Right. So those are the libraries that I know of. But yeah, you know, I, I think probably the swing libraries have the most uptake as far as being used. Yeah. That was the other one I was trying to think of. Yeah, exactly. All those old libraries. Okay, we'll take one more question and then I've got to let you guys go eat lunch and they'll be mad at me. Yep, in the back again. That's a good point. So uh, what he was saying was uh, mobile development, which was mentioned earlier with Android, but uh, uh, mobile development is, uh, you know, obviously a huge uh, thing right now, and, and Ruby does get quite a bit of usage there, thanks to things like Roboto and uh, the aforementioned uh, Android libraries. All right, thanks. Have lunch.